Our scripture reading today is John chapter 17. John chapter 17, we will read the whole chapter. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. 
As we continue in our series in John's Gospel, we're returning to that last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And you'll remember that as we've gone through the Gospel, chapters 1 to 12 report a number of things that Jesus did and said during his ministry. And as we follow John's account of that gospel, we know that he's going back and forth. Jesus is going back and forth from Galilee to Jerusalem. But then at the beginning of chapter 13, John slows down the narrative and he brings our attention. He brings the focus to that last supper that Jesus had with his disciples and the things that Jesus said to his disciples. And remember how John began that account that Jesus eagerly desired to eat that last supper with his disciples. And he knew that now was the time that he was departing from the world, returning to his father. And John tells us, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And John announces to us at the beginning of this account of the last supper that Jesus is departing. He's leaving the world. He's returning to the father. But the disciples will remain in the world. And what we have in chapters 13 to 16 is a sermon. It's a sermon that Jesus preaches to his disciples. It's a word of exhortation. It's a word of comfort. It's a word of promise. And as we read through those chapters, we saw there the themes of love, the themes of the gift of the Spirit. Also the warning that in the world, his disciples would experience hatred, persecution, rejection, the temptation to fall away, tribulation. But our Lord tells us, in a sense, the the reason for this sermon in the very last line of the sermon. And that's where we ended up last week, at the end of chapter 16. Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. That's why Jesus was saying these things to his disciples. That's why Jesus says these things to us. Now, we live in a time where we're anxious, we're concerned, we're worried. And these chapters of Scripture, these chapters of John's Gospel, were written for us that we may have peace in Christ. And so we need to return to these chapters again and again. Because in them we find peace, the peace of Christ. And then our Lord says, in the world you will have tribulation. That means pressure. That's a promise. You're going to have tribulation in the world. You will know pressure. You will know tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's how he concludes that sermon to his disciples. And then at the conclusion of the sermon, he then prays. And that's what we have in John chapter 17. We have the prayer of Jesus. The prayer of Jesus for his disciples. The prayer of Jesus for all those who would believe through their word. And that's us. That's you and that's me. And this is a precious chapter of scripture because it records for us. It preserves for us the prayer of Jesus. The prayer that he has prayed for us. And as we consider this prayer together, we need to remember that this is the prayer of the Son to the Father. And there can be no doubt in our minds that the Father will answer this prayer. That the Father has answered this prayer. So as we read through and we consider this prayer together, we do so knowing that the Father has heard the Son. And the Father has answered the Son. And as we'll see, we know this prayer is answered because the Spirit has come. And the Spirit is the one who answers this prayer. Now, this is a prayer of Jesus for us, for believers, in the world. 
And we are in the world. And it's a prayer that draws our attention to the accomplished work of Christ and the work of the Spirit among us. And as we consider this prayer, I want us to consider four aspects of the prayer. So this is how we're going to proceed. First of all, the occasion for the prayer. You know, the moment when Jesus prays this prayer. And he tells us at the very beginning, Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. So now he prays. And then secondly, the one who is praying. Now, of course, this is obvious. It's Jesus who's praying. But as we read through and we hear the prayer, it's a prayer of God the Son to God the Father. And we need to consider the one praying. Thirdly, those for whom he is praying. Now, yes, he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for those who would believe through their word. He's praying for us. But notice, too, he's also praying for himself. And he's praying for the Father. And then finally, the petitions of the prayer. What is it exactly that he asks for? What are his petitions? And there's three things I want us to consider. First, he prays that he would be glorified. That's the first petition. Secondly, he prays that we would be kept in the name of the Father. It's the second petition. And then finally, that we would be sanctified in the truth. So that's how we're going to proceed. We begin with the occasion for the prayer. And we see that in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. And you'll remember as we've been working our way through John's gospel that again and again Jesus is speaking of the hour. Now, earlier in the gospel, he says the hour has not yet come. And there are times in the gospel where he says the hour is coming. The hour is now here. And here at the end of this Last Supper discourse, as he prays, he says, Father, the hour has come. Now, as we're reading through John's gospel, it's clear that the hour that is coming, the hour that has come, is the hour of his crucifixion. It's the hour of his suffering and death. And it's in that hour that he will be glorified. And we know that from John chapter 12. He says, now the Son of Man is glorified. And when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Now is the Son of Man glorified. When I am lifted up. When he is lifted up on the cross. Now the hour has come. And Jesus has said these things to his disciples. And he's praying this prayer The night before his crucifixion, the hour has come. Now, as we're reading through the gospel and we're hearing Jesus speak of this coming hour again and again, and now, as he says, the hour has come, what we need to hear there and what we need to be reminded of is the fact that everything that is happening in the gospel is happening according to God's sovereign plan and purpose. The hour has now come. This is an appointed hour. The hour that was determined. The hour that was determined before the foundation of the world. It has now come. There is nothing that that happens in the life of Jesus, even the crucifixion that is by chance. It doesn't just happen. It is all according to the sovereign plan and purpose of God. The appointed hour has come. And because the appointed hour has come, Jesus prays. Now, Jesus knows the plan of the Father. Jesus knows the will of the Father. And he prays in accordance with that will, with that plan. He knows that when he is lifted up, he will be glorified. And he knows that's going to happen. 
And so he prays that he will be glorified. He also knows that the Father will keep those who believe in him in his name. He knows that the Father will do that. And that's why he prays for it. He also knows for sure that the Father will sanctify his disciples and will sanctify those who believe through their word in the truth. He knows that's going to happen. He knows that the Spirit will come to make that happen. And because he knows that, he prays for that. Now, there's a lesson for us as in, in our time of prayer. Jesus prays according to the sovereign plans and purposes of God. He knows this is going to happen, and he prays for it to happen. And so it is for us as we are reading Scripture, as we know the Word of God, as we know God's sovereign plan and purposes, as they are revealed to us in Scripture, we, play, we pray in terms of those And the more we know what God's word reveals concerning his plans and purposes, that informs our prayer, and we pray for it to happen. So the occasion of the prayer is that the hour has come, but it's the appointed hour. And precisely because the appointed hour has come, Jesus prays that what God has planned for that hour would happen. And so it is that when we pray, we pray according to God's revealed plans and purposes. And then secondly, we consider the one who is praying. Yes, it's Jesus. We know that Jesus is praying. But as Jesus is praying, he's praying to the Father. And again and again, in this prayer, Jesus is addressing the Father. And this prayer, the prayer of Jesus for us, is a prayer that comes from the very heart of God himself. It comes from the very heart of the Son and the Father. This is a window. This prayer is a window into the intimate communion and communication of the Son and the Father. God the Son and God the Father. Now Jesus prays this. He asks these things of his Father because he is in communion with the Father. And he also prays these things because he's been obedient to the Father. And as we listen to the prayer, these two things come out. The basis of Jesus' requests, the ground for the prayer, the ground for which, uh, on which he's asking these things is his communion with the Father and his obedience to the Father. And on that basis, he asks these things. Now notice what it says about his communion with the Father. He and the Father are one. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Son was with the Father in the beginning. He shares in the eternal glory of the Father. And so because of that intimate communion of Father and Son, that eternal communion of love, that glorious union of the Father and the Son, because the Son knows that intimacy with his Father, he asks the Father for these things. Now notice that we have a picture here of the Trinity. We have a picture here of the relationship between the Father and the Son and their communion with one another. But in that communion, they communicate. They speak to one another. Now this is saying something to us about our communion with God and our prayer. Because we are in communion with God, we speak to God. We communicate with God. And notice those two words are very similar, communion and communicate. Now, we have the privilege of having been redeemed and saved and purchased by the shed blood of Christ. 
and joined to Christ. We're in communion with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And because of that, and on the basis of that, we communicate. We pray. Now the question for you is, what does your prayer life look like? And just consider that for a moment. The state of your prayer life. And the state of your prayer life says something about your communion with the triune God. And if we are in communion with the triune God, we are communicating with the triune God. We pray. Now, our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, is confident that his prayer will be answered because he's in loving communion with the Father. He knows his Father. He prays for these things in confidence. So it is for us. But not just the communion, but obedience. That's the other ground for Jesus' prayer. And he's confident that the Father will hear his prayer and answer his prayer because he has been obedient to the Father. Look at verse 4. The Son has accomplished the work that the Father gave him to do. You sent me to do these things. I've done it. I did it. And on the basis of that obedience, he prays. And he's confident that the Father will hear the prayer and answer the prayer because he has obeyed. He's done what the Father called him to do. And there's a lesson for us, too, in our life of prayer. You can't separate obedience to God and our prayer to God. And there's a number of warnings in Scripture about this. Isaiah chapter 1, God is rebuking Israel, saying, Yeah, you come into my sanctuary. You lift up your hands and pray. But he says, You've got blood on your hands. And he says, I refuse to listen to your prayers. Or in Proverbs, we read that the prayers of the wicked are an abomination. And so there is an inextricable link between our life of obedience and our life of prayer. There's an integrity there. We can't be walking in disobedience. We can't be knowingly breaking God's commandments. We can't be walking in sin and then expect to have an audience with our Heavenly Father. But the Lord Jesus did what his Father sent him to do. He's obedient. And on the basis of that obedience, he prays. And so we can be confident in our prayer when we're walking in obedience and faith. So the one who's praying, it's the Son of God. The one who's in eternal communion with the Father. The one who obeys the Father. And then thirdly, those for whom he's praying. This is an intercessory prayer. And yes, he's praying for us. That's true. It's a prayer of intercession for us. But if you look at the first five verses, he's not praying for us there just yet. He first prays for himself. And he prays for the Father. And even the way in which John narrates the prayer, he says, Jesus lifted his eyes towards heaven. Now, why did he do that? Is that because his Father is is up there somewhere? So he lifts up his eyes to look to see the Father. Well, I don't think we should reduce it down to that. It's not the case that the Father is somehow up there. But lifting the eyes to heaven signifies the orientation of our life and our prayer. And it signifies the number one priority of our prayer and the motivation of our prayer. And the first thing that Jesus prays for And the number one concern on his mind, even as he goes to the cross, 
And I hope this doesn't shock you or upset you, but his number one concern going to the cross is the glory of the Father. And so he went to the cross first and foremost to glorify the Father, that God would be glorified. Now, yes, he also redeems us and saves us on the cross, and he prays for us too. But his number one priority as he lifts his eyes towards heaven to pray is the glory of the Father, the glory of God. And remember when our Lord taught us to pray, where does all prayer begin? Our Father who art in heaven, that's why we lift up our eyes, we recognize where God is, he's above, he's above us, we're below him. We don't come into into prayer looking down on God. We come into prayer looking up. We recognize our position before him. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Number one concern in prayer, the glory of the Father, the glory of God. But then secondly, he does pray for us. It's a prayer of intercession for us, for his disciples, and for all those who would believe through their word. And we need to notice here how the Son speaks of us. We are those that belong to the Father. And we are those that the Father has given to the Son. So yes, we read in John 3.16 that God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. He gave his Son. The Son is the gift of the Father to the world, to us. But then look at verse 9. I am praying for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Yes, the Son is the Father's gift to us. But we are the Father's gift to the Son. Now hear this the right way. But you are the gift of God. You are God's gift. You are God's gift. The gift of the Father to the Son. You belong to the Father, and the Father has given you to the Son. He's given you to the Son because he loves the Son. And remember that on those days, and I know there are, there are days when you wake up in the morning... And you consider your circumstances and you consider your past and you look in the mirror. And you, you, you see yourself and you see your life and you think, what, what good am I? Remember that you are the gift of the Father to the Son. Now because of that, the world hates you. Precisely because you belong to the Father and you are the Father's gift to the Son, the world hates you. Precisely because the Son has received you, the world rejects you. And we saw this back in chapter 16, the hatred of the world. But even that should be a source of affirmation and encouragement to us. The rejection of the world is a confirmation of the reception of God. The hatred of the world is a confirmation of the love of God. So our Lord is praying for those whom the Father has given to them. He's received them. I have them. He's praying for us. 
Now consider the petitions of the prayer. And there's three things that I want us to to consider here. The first we've already considered. The first petition of the prayer is that the Father would glorify the Son. And so glorify himself. The first petition is for the glory of the Father and the Son. But then our Lord prays two things for us. First, that the Father would keep us in his name. We see that in verse 11. And the reason for that, that we be kept in his name, is that we may be one. That the unity among us would reflect the unity of the Trinity. And then secondly, he prays that God would sanctify us and sanctify us in the truth. Precisely as we go into the world, our Lord prays that we would be sanctified in the truth. So first he prays, keep them in your name, verse 11. Now what does that mean, to keep them in your name? Well, in Scripture, name refers to the character, the identity of a person, in this case of God. The name of God represents God himself, his character, his identity. So Jesus is saying, keep them in your name. Keep them as those who belong to you. They're yours. Hold on to them. Keep them. And if you look at verses 6 to 15, really the heart of the prayer here, our Lord lays out a number of reasons why the Father should keep us in his name. So look at verse 6. Jesus says, I've manifested your name to them. I revealed your name to them. John announces this at the very beginning. No one has ever seen God, but the only begotten Son who resides in the very heart of the Father. He has made him known. I have manifested your name to them. I've made your name known to them. So keep them in your name. Verse 8. I gave them the words that you gave to me. I've given them your very words. And they received them. They received your words. And having received your words, they know and believe. For that reason, keep them in your name. Verses 9 and 10. Father, they belong to you. You've given them to me. They belong to us. Keep them in your name. Verse 10. I'm glorified in them. Father, keep them in your name because I am glorified in them. Verse 11. I'm no longer in the world. I'm coming to you, Jesus says to the Father. But they are remaining in the world. I'm leaving them. They're going to remain in the world. Keep them in your name in the world. Jesus says, while I was with them, I, I kept them. I held on to them. When I leave... Verse 12, when I leave, keep them in your name. Verse 14, they remain in the world and the world hates them. The world will persecute them. In the world, they will experience tribulation. So, Father, keep them in your name. And then finally, verse 15, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. Keep them from Satan. Keep them from the devil. Protect them. Again, we see this in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
So a number of these verses, starting at verse 6, give us the reason why our Lord is praying that we be kept in his name. And as he draws near the end of those verses, it's clear, because in the world there's going to be much that is going to pull them away. There's going to be much that threatens them. So, Father, keep them in your name. And keep them in your name because, he says, in them I'm glorified. And here we see the reason why Jesus wants us to be kept in God's name. It's so that we may be one. So that they may be one. Just as you and I are one, that they may be one. And here we see our Lord praying for the unity of the church. And this gives me great comfort. Because I look, as I look at the church right now, we don't see that unity. There's lots of division in the church. Now, I know this isn't a perfect window into the health of the church or the unity of the church, but if you just go on social media and you just kind of scroll through a few Twitter feeds, you'll see there that the church is divided. Now, the question is, is that tell- what's that telling the world? The animosity, the division that's on display to the world. What's that telling the world? Is that telling the world that the Father sent the Son? Is that telling the world that the Father loves the church? Is that what's on display there? Is that, what, is that what's being communicated? And as I think about our, our, the unity of the church, you know, generally, the unity of the church in Canada, even the unity amongst us as brothers and sisters in Christ, I have confidence in that unity, not because of our own ability to maintain it. Not because of our own ability to sort things out and get over, you know, disagreements or misunderstandings. I have confidence in the unity of the church because our Lord has prayed for it. And I have confidence because the Spirit is the one who unites us. The unity of the Spirit. The bond of peace. Now that unity is a joyful unity. The communion of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, that is a joyful communion. And our Lord is praying that we be kept in his name so that we may be one. And through that unity, through that communion, his joy may be fulfilled in us. Now, we live in a very divided time in our society. We recognize that. It's also a joyless time. There's not a lot of joy. But as we abide in our communion with one another because of our communion in the Spirit, there's joy. The joy of Christ himself. And we need to fight for this joy. We need to promote this joy among us because it's very easy to be discouraged. It's very easy to go through Monday to Saturday just you know, looking at the news and thinking about all of the difficulties, the tribulation that we're facing. And it's one of the reasons that our communion with one another is so important because in it we know the joy of the Lord. That's why we get together throughout the week. That's why we gather here on a Sunday morning. And our Lord has prayed that we would be kept in the name of the Father so that we may be one. And through that joyful unity, the world will know. The world will see. And, and know what? Oh, hey, look, these guys seem to be really happy and they're getting along. No. The world will know that the Father sent the Son. It's a testimony to the gospel. Keep them in your name, for in them I am glorified. 
And then the second petition that he prays for us is that we would be sanctified in the truth. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now this word sanctify or consecrate, it's a word that we find all through scripture. And it's a word that that literally means to cut and separate. I don't know how many of you like to cook, but just think, you know, you're making some soup. You got the carrot there, you cut it up. You separate it. The little bits of carrot, cut and separate. That's what it means to be sanctified, to be separated, to be cut off and separated. That's precisely what Jesus is talking about. I've taken them out of the world. They're not from the world. They don't belong to the world. I've cut them and separated them. Now, the little bits of carrot don't just get put on a shelf somewhere. They go into the soup. Well, that soup's the world. But sanctify them in the truth. And here's, here's just a little sentence to, to help us think about this being sanctified. Set apart, yes, from the world, but set apart unto God. So first, separate from the world unto God. We belong to him. We don't belong to the world. For his service. Just as the Father has sent me into the world, so I am sending you. Jesus says here, you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world for his service. So we're set apart from the world unto God for his service. And for his service where? Back in the world. In the world. And he says, sanctify them in the truth. And we are sent into the world as those who are sanctified in the truth. And then he tells us, your word is truth. And that's what we have here in God's word. His word, which is truth. And whatever the world may be saying, however it is that the evil one seeks to deceive and destroy, we have the word of God. doesn't change. Think of what the prophet Isaiah says. You know, the, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It's the same word that they had in the 4th century. We've got in the 21st century. It hasn't changed. What it says about who we are as the image of God. Pastor Mike was praying into that. That hasn't changed. It's right here. And his word is a light to our path. It's a lamp unto our feet. And so together as a congregation, we are being sanctified by the word. His word is truth. And we go into the world armed with the word of God, the word of truth. It's the sword of the spirit. And as we live in obedience to the word, we're being sanctified in truth. Now, as we hear this prayer of Jesus at the end of this sermon, we need to hear it in the light of what he has said throughout that sermon, starting in chapter 13. And specifically about the Spirit. Because think of the petitions that Jesus has prayed. He's prayed first that the Father would glorify the Son. Secondly, he prays that we would be kept in the name of the Father. And so be one. And thirdly, he's prayed that we would be sanctified in the truth. Your word is truth. Now each one of those requests has already been mentioned He's already spoken of those things in his sermon to the disciples and spoken of those things with reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come to glorify me. 
Father, glorify me. The Spirit is sent to glorify the Son. Father, keep them in your name. Well, the Spirit is the comforter, the paraclete, the helper. I will not leave you as orphans. I will send another comforter, another paraclete. While I was here, Jesus says, I kept them in your name. I did that. I kept them in your name. Another comforter will come and he will keep them in your name. And then finally, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Well, the spirit is the spirit of truth who guides us in all truth. Who teaches us all truth. So the prayer of Jesus for us is answered in the gift of the spirit. And so we have confidence that this prayer is answered, first of all, because we know that the Father will answer the Son. There can be no doubt in our minds that the Father will not answer the prayer of the Son. But we also know that this prayer has been answered because he has sent the Spirit. And the Spirit has come to answer the prayer, to do the very things that our Lord has prayed for. And so, yes, in this world we will have tribulation. But our Lord has prayed for us. He's prayed that his name would be glorified. He's prayed that we would be kept in the name of the Father. He's prayed that we would be sanctified in truth. And he has sent the Spirit. And the Spirit is glorifying the Son. The Spirit is keeping us in his name. The Spirit is sanctifying us in truth. And now we come to the Lord's Supper as we do every Lord's Day, every Sunday. And in this meal, we have a confirmation that Jesus' prayer is answered. Because this is a meal that glorifies the Son. It's a meal that manifests the Son to us. We know the risen presence of the Lord Jesus among us. And he's manifest among us in this meal. In this bread, in this cup. This meal is also a confirmation that we are those who are being kept in the name of the Father. And when we come to this meal, Sunday by Sunday, it's a confirmation that we belong to him. We're his. And it's a meal that reminds us that we are those who are sanctified in the truth and we've just heard the word of God. And we come to this meal and it's a holy meal. It's a holy table. It's a consecrating meal. It's a sanctifying meal. And so we come to this this table knowing that we're not only those kept in the name of the Father, but we're those who are set apart unto him for his service in the world. And having come to this table, then we go out as those who glorify the Son in the world. So let's come to the Lord's table knowing that in this meal we have a confirmation that the prayer of Jesus has been answered.